Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by my lovely wife, Yanni, for a episode. It's been a while since we've done our last episode. Of course, what that means is normally we're going to talk some politics. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, but obviously it is mine. So I appreciate you tuning in. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in in today's episode. I am once again joined by my lovely wife, Yanni. Yanni, welcome back in studio. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Um, I always get really good feedback when I do episodes with you. So, whenever our schedules permit, I like to try to work uh, an episode in like this, because of course you have a different perspective than my, well, I'll just, yeah, privileged white guy, born in the United States, perspective when it comes to politics okay, versus yours, right? We come from different worlds. Yeah, yeah. We are very different. Right. Um, So, of course, I have my, you know, political things that are fascinating to me. And, of course, your perspective is very fascinating to to me, but also to a lot of our listeners, which I think is pretty cool. A couple different directions we can take this episode. Um, One of them is... We have... Added to our list of socialist-type themed movies mm-hmm. that we've watched recently, right? Yeah. Um, and we haven't even put much thought into this right now, but the, the most recent ones... Oh, my God. The two most recent films we've watched, according to my list, 1900 
Yeah. Starring Robert De Niro. Don't watch it. Okay. Four hour and five or four hour and seven minute movie. Yep. And it's traumatizing. Crazy movie. Very clearly written from a far left perspective. Yeah. Right? And directed so. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, then that French guy, whatever his name is. The Perdue, something like that. Okay. Um, but we watched the that rapist. one. The Rapist. The Rapist, yeah. He admitted he's currently avoids the United States because there's a warrant out for his arrest. And France. In France. I think. Okay. Um, so that film, do you have anything else to say about that one? Um, it, it was basically t- two young boys born around 19- the year 1900. Yeah. And one was born to a wealthy landowner, Robert De Niro. The landlord, yeah. Landlord. But, um, Robert De Niro's character. And then the other guy, the exact, I think they were born on the exact same day was the theme of the film. The other guy, um, Gerard Depardieu, mm-hmm. uh, was playing the role of the guy who was born to a worker, someone from the worker class. Right, the pro- like the proletarian. Proletarian, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at first, you know, Politics didn't have much to do with their relationship, but as they got older, one of them became a clear-cut fascist. Of course, De Niro's character, right? Mm-hmm. Although he denied being a fascist, yeah, he was a he son of he generational. Didn't stop the fascist. He didn't stop the fascists, and he was their their boss. They he wouldn't just don't tell them what to do; they would do it. Mm-hmm. But he knew that they were doing it, so they were doing what. Like um, killing, doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, and, and, and they, they were they become they become friends when they are very little. Yeah, they were very little. They showed that their fathers were friends or knew each other. Uh, uh, they maybe they weren't friends, but they interacted the day that they were born. Yeah. Their two fathers, the worker. In the, the business, or they the landowner, interacted. they interacted and said, hey, I had a son born today. And the other one said, me too, I had a son born today. Yeah. And it was like, hey, cheers, do you want to drink on me? The, the wealthy landowner said mm-hmm. to the poor guy. And then he basically said, like, get back to work type shit. Yeah. Um, but it was fascinating. It goes through, of course, trying to demonize the fascists more so than the communists. Yeah, I think it never... Had any intention to put the uh, bad side of the proletarian or any any. Uh, so what that means to our listeners is they did not try to put any type of a negative light on the communists. Yes, they did not try to make the communists look bad. Right. They made the communists look like they had the moral high ground. Right. The, like they, you know, deserved to um, have more, you know, more things. Get more of the. What is it called? Share of their labor. Yeah. Fruits of their labor. labor and um, Labor theory of value stuff. Reading the reviews for it. I mean, this director was a clear Marxist. I mean, to be fair, it might be a little bit unjust. What might? The, you know, they might not be getting what they needed to Mm. get paid. Let's give it that. But that doesn't make them, you know, it's completely, like, completely try to demonize the, the right side. The business. Like, there's not a single positive thing. Um, it showed in it. From, from the landlord side. 
mm-hmm. like the 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 rich, the 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 powerful, or mm-hmm. even the fascists, because they distinguish between the fascists and the landlord, because not all of the same. Mm-hmm. Like some landlords did not call themselves fascists, right? And some uh, fascists were no landlords; mm-hmm. they were just simple workers. Yeah, but they were just on the right side, right? Yeah. Um. Mostly like working in like managing. Working for the right. fascists. For the for, no, for the landlord. For the landlord, but they were the the fascists. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. the people on the right. Right. Um, it's interesting because that was once again the film is called 1900. It was released in 1976. And there was a lot of real awkward scenes in it. It showed yeah, it, a little it, girl being sexually abused, I think basically. It, it is very interesting how they associate or tried to describe fascists as pedophiles or something. They definitely had multiple instances of the fascists, the people from the right mm-hmm. side. One of them, uh, 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 the guy who was the, what was the term? Um, the, the leader of the... I guess it's like a manager. Like, I'll find I can't the word. I'll find the name. word. Um, but he was in charge of like, um, tell, like telling the workers what to do and mm-hmm. trying to get the padrone. Padrone. The padrone. Padrone. Well, the padrone was the landlord. The landlord. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about the very bad guy. The, the I can't remember what his name the, the, was. The very bad guy was a famous Kiefer Sutherland's father played him. His name was. Um, Donald Sutherland. This guy. Yeah. This guy. Donald Sutherland played a character which was the most evil. And he was involved with pedophilia. Yeah, there was some And so, stuff so was there. the original Padrone. Remember, he sexually, he like got that little girl into the barn. Yeah, that's a Padrone. Yeah. But this is not the same person. No, they're not the same person. Oh, okay. Both on the right. Yeah, well, but one of them, Donald Sutherland's character, was working for the Padrone and the Padrone's son and grandson. And he worked for I, the family, basically. But yeah. he, was, he was the most ruthless villain fascist yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Like, at some point, they put a scene where he's trying to describe this the socialist people to the other fascists. And then they're like, said, oh, look at that kitty cat. How How cute. And that's like, he says... Well, socialists are like that. If you let them be, they can corrupt the other people. So therefore, you have to eliminate it, even they get to your heart or something. Kind of like he was saying that they were sell, they sell their idea very easily. That's why they should annihilate them, <laughs> which was awful. Like mm-hmm. that was just. And then he takes a cat and then just like oh, yeah. smashes Don- it against Donald the- Sutherland's character. Oh my smashed. god! Yeah, it was gross. They like- really went out of their way to demonize the fascists. Now, I'm not saying that the fascist fascism's good or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. not at all. But there was. But it was clearly the director, whatever his name this is. This movie definitely Bernardo- had a bias. Like yeah. you could know from the beginning what it was. The person who produced or whatever. The director Bernardo Bertolucci. It was a very controversial character. Yeah. He supposedly directed a film one time where... Um, Somebody got raped under the camera. Marlon Brando raped someone on camera during the film. Yeah. And this Berto Lucci, 
Bertolucci Bertolucci Bernardo Bertolucci was the director and he was yeah. a, a professed you know Marxist so of course he leaned uh, yeah. very much so to the left and didn't really even try to hide it no um, but a fascinating film and not, also don't have very good review for Rotten Tomatoes it did not shockingly despite being yeah. so far to the it left it was too extreme yeah. too awkward too awkward right there too was a strange. bunch of weird stuff there's a lot of stuff that and like very inappropriate kind of like made the sex part of the f like associate sex and evil with the, the the right side of yeah it's completely i don't know i never seen that part i know that socialists are a little crazy but i never I never heard any socialist saying like you know people who think who differently are, right are pedophiles or, or are rapists or that's a very the, I'm sure there are plenty weird of pers perspective of plenty it, of like. fascists and Nazis that yeah, were in and, fact and rapists. Not, I'm sure. Right, there's not side that are, there's perfect at all. Yeah, I'm guessing the numbers are probably pretty consistent. Yeah, regardless of but political you can't just like make a movie and sanify makes uh, one side saints. And then the other one's completely evil. That's not realistic. They showed Robert De Niro's character, world. and then the French guy, uh, his his co-star. Yeah. They were in the bed with the woman. They were gonna like have sex with her, take turns having sex with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This and is then, just. And then it turned into him. I won't recommend this movie to watch. Robert De Niro's character, the guy on the right, forced her to drink alcohol, so she had a seizure. Yeah. And he was just being mean to her, like he was. He was basically an aggressive sexual. Uh, I think I would definitely would have enjoyed more Steve Seagal movie than this. <laughs> Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal? Yeah, Steven Seagal. Your dad's favorite actor? Definitely. I would have enjoyed a movie like from him a lot more. Can we watch one of, <laughs> can we watch one of those? <laughs> no. Seriously? Yeah. Any even back in his old days? <laughs> no. Why not? No. I have a Steven Seagal tattoo on my leg. It's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Pretty badass, right? Sure. <laughs> Yanni? But definitely, I would have definitely watched it better. Okay, well, on that note, let's move <laughs> on to an even uh, more uplifting film that oh we recently watched. Four months, three weeks, and two days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell, tell our listeners about that one, Yanni. Oh, that one was like <laughs> horrible. Horrible. But honestly, it is horrible. But if you think about it, you know, when, when they make these movies, they're trying to show the reality of a society, mm -hmm. right? And it sometimes is so cruel and so bad that when you show it, it's like, oh, my God, it's unbelievable, depressing. Well, guess what? That's somebody's life mm -hmm. right now somewhere. Four months, three <laughs> weeks, and two days is a 2007 Romanian art film. Okay. Yeah. And it was based in Romania, uh, communist Romania. And you could see it wasn't specifically about communism, right? Yeah. It wasn't, but there was well, some overtones. Romania has been like, it seems like, wasn't it part of the Soviet Union? Mm-hmm. So this was set in the late 80s. So that was still part of the Soviet Union then. So that's when... I think they were trying to... That one guy, the Romanian guy, Nicolae um, Ceausescu. Ceausescu, yes, was the horrible Romanian dictator in the USSR. Mm -hmm. And this film showed 
two women. It was difficult to follow because not only was it a, a foreign language film, so we had to read the subtitles, but for a while I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Yeah, the movie, it's, it's not very... Easy to follow at the beginning, but that's yeah. okay. So we were trying to figure out these two women were in a very, very... Um, underprivileged, like almost like a college dorm room setting, I think. Mm -hmm. And they were sneaking out. We did not know why they were sneaking out. I think it was because one of them was... Uh, uh, we know now why. Yeah. But from what I remember, okay. one of them was uh, pregnant. One of them was pregnant. And asked her friend okay. to find somebody to get an abortion for her because, um, you know, they, I don't think... Abortion? No, ad abortion was illegal uh, in Romania, right? Okay, I, I don't know. There were specific laws about it. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, the most depressing fucking film in the history of the world, <laughs> right? No. What is? 1900s. Well, listen, let, let me do oh my... Oh, my God. Let I mean, me finish with my recap of four months, four months, three weeks, and two days. So, this woman wanted an abortion. Her friend went with her, okay? Mm-hmm. And when they got there, they met some shady doctor. No, they actually the go to the hotel. The doctor tells them that it's going to be, I think it was like uh, 5000 something like Whatever that. Whatever the Romanian currency is mm -hmm. or was. So he's he's doing an abortion illegally, right? Yep, he's doing it illegally. Uh-huh. If they find both, that they did it, both of them in that bad. Not only the doctor, both of them ended up in trouble. Would be going to prison. Yeah. For getting an abortion and for the doctor doing the abortion. So basically, Illegally. the criminal element to this puts a very interesting, and this is uh, uh, significant in some ways due to the Roe v. Wade thing. Right. Because the criminal element allowed that doctor mm -hmm. to basically tell these two vulnerable yeah. women, I'm going to go to prison. Something you're that not, you're more be... pregnant than you told me. Okay. You're more pregnant than you told me you were. You lied to me. I... Like, but this is also comes to the, the, the law of it, like how bad it's like for the law to tell a woman to, to not have the choice of having it or not having it. I so think that you would say you're I am Christian and I do not like abortion, but I do not support the government imposing on some lady to have her kid no matter what. Okay. So you're more poor choice. Yes. Pro-choice, not pro-abortion. But you're pro-choice. I think you should avoid abortion at, as much as you can. Pro-choice if it's the first trimester? Yeah, but like... This girl was not first trimester. What do you mean first trimester? The, the pregnancy is nine months. The first three months is the first trimester. Second three months yeah, is yeah, the yeah, second... Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing why, we, why he got to that she point... She lied. She lied. The thing why he got to that point... Was because of the laws. Because the law didn't allow it in any way. Okay, that's fair. Fair. I'll take it. So if I, if the law would have allowed it at three, less than three months, she probably she, would she have wouldn't have it. had to pay this guy who raped her. Ended up and raping her friend. her friend, her random friend and who then, was trying to help her out. And then also charging her for doing that. I don't know. It her was friend got awful. raped. She didn't get raped, did she? So the law was insane, and on top of that, the, the, what he brought. So so the criminal where you know you, sh you, you the law says that government says don't do this and people end up doing it all anyways, under the table and then they end up, you know, even in a worse situation the than they would have done illegally. This brings up an interesting topic, and I'll relate it to the war on drugs. When you bring the criminal element into anything, heroin's illegal. Okay, well, are people going to stop doing heroin? No. When they sell it, though, 
The person no. selling it now is going to have a gun on them because they might get robbed. We the person buying it. We disagree in this. Okay, that's okay. But I'll be, you at least hear my stance, right? Yeah. Because the person selling it has to have a gun because they might get robbed now. Right. They cannot report it to the cops if right. they get robbed. And then it's crime. Because it's illegal. Yeah. So the criminal element makes everything a lot worse. And I would draw a yeah. parallel here as to why making drugs illegal, although drugs are not good. Well, I think. I think the criminal element makes everything way worse. The border to Mexico is way worse because it's all illegal. I think, uh, I honestly, I, I disagree with you in certain ways. Like, I think there's some drugs that are too bad for human beings. They shouldn't be legal in any way. Okay. Do you think that that means people will not Weed, do them? People it should not- be legal for everybody. Okay, it doesn't you- make any problem. What else? Cocaine, no good for your heart. Can you answer my question, though? Mm-hmm. If you make, the, what are the drugs that no, should be illegal? Which ones? Illegals? Illegal. Well, I am not very, like, I'm not an expert on drugs. Okay, let's say heroin the, and crack. The one that I, mushrooms, I don't think I have done, nobody I've ever heard of. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can have a. You can be irresponsible with know. alcohol. Yeah, or anything with anything. Anything. Yeah. Alcohol. There are more people who have died from, from alcohol. Tell me one drug that should be illegal. Weed. Illegal. Illegal? Uh, fentanyl. Fentanyl, okay. Definitely, okay. so bad so, for so, you. So listen. Uh, heroin, very bad for you. Am I allowed to respond? Allowed to respond? Uh, cocaine, Yanni, very bad for I your respond? heart. Can In I the res- long run, it burns you. Can I respond? And not only that, but the brain, the brain, um, the brain consequences of it is even worse because you won't know until you have done it for a long, long time. Am I allowed to respond? No thanks, not illegal. Not am, legal. I, am I allowed to respond? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, so Sorry. let's start with fentanyl. You said fentanyl should be illegal. Mm-hmm. If you... Continue to make fentanyl illegal as it currently is, right? It's illegal right now. It is? It's illegal. Okay. All right. Do you think that means that no one will use it? No. Okay. I know people will use it. There you go. So what does the law Well, it do? could go those both ways. Because, let's see, Germany, when the, the World War II, when okay. the Nazis, all those Nazis were under drugs. Mm-hmm. And there's a documentary on Netflix right now about well, it. I, I, well, there's a couple of them. But I got Where they were what, on, I think it's amphetamines or barbiturates. Doing, I don't know. Some, a bunch of They were of doing stuff. a bunch of amphetamines. And it was just legal. It was at the pharmacy. Well, f- amphetamines are legal in the United States right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, like you didn't even people, need a prescription Tons of people anything. take Adderall. It was over the counter. Okay, so what are you trying to say? That was bad? Well, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't good, good to them. <laughs> When they so ended you're, you're up blaming, doing you're blaming the second the, the worst uh, hom- homicide in the whole world. What was the first? Uh, the communism. How many people have killed? Definitely more than the, the Nazis did. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever wants to, um, you know, acknowledge that because that would be too, too dangerous. Okay. So Pol Pot. Mao Zedong. Yeah, definitely. Joseph Stalin. It's, all of them get combined into one. All together have killed more than the Holocaust. Everybody knows that. It's yeah. just not officially recognized because that would be too good to be true. Okay. So we, we disagree on the war on drugs. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but you're pro-choice like me. I'm pro-choice with the idea of being first trimester. You and I talked yeah, about this yeah, before. Yeah, that, that too. I'm not okay with like the crazy shit where it's like you can have a do abortion up until the day you have your baby. No, that's I'm not, not okay that's with not that. That's not good. First trimester, um, 
cutting the line right there. Right. I'm okay with that. Where's the line between being a human being and now that's a different conversation because stuff. it can, even within the first trimester, some can argue that it's already a human. Yeah. Okay. Now that's different. I'm not saying I'm a uh, the greatest person in the world. I'm not a saint. I'm not trying to take some moral high I ground wish, here. I wish I wish to wear in situations like raped and uh, like how some people like incest. I exactly like incest and girls getting pregnant from their fathers. You know, it, it, you can say, yeah, yeah, she shouldn't have an abortion. Now, would you? Would you as a person? Have a kid from your father. Well, Yanni, I don't think many people argue that. that people should, always give. Uh, not many people argue. I don't. I've, I've never met someone who argued that an abortion should be illegal in that instance. I've never met someone. Have you? Um, yeah. The, have you? Yeah. Okay. And my my um, in Cuba actually, when I was going to church, that's their argument that you should never, ever, ever. Have an abortion no matter if it was rape or whatever. Okay. That was a religion from my mom. Well, maybe I have met people who feel that way. I've just never heard them say it. I do not feel that if it's rape or incest that, yeah, I think that's okay. But I think it's important to do it early, in my opinion, if we want to live in a relatively humane society. We're not doing crazy uh, eugenics type crazy shit yeah. to me that just gets weird just being honest it, it morally doesn't feel right and i'm not taking a religious perspective that's just how i feel okay so we can continue um the next one we watched was nine days that changed the world you know i actually this is out of the topic but i always wonder one question has been in my mind for a long time and said can you be a, a can you be a buddhist buddhist and a christian at the same time i don't think so why not? You can you cut this out? You want to cut this out? I mean, nothing related to it. We don't have to cut it out. <laughs> if it's a fascinating conversation, <laughs> what, what what made you say this though? Well, Let's dig into that. I am. I I feel. You I like f- the little chubby Buddha? I feel that- Christian, but I think Buddhism is not a religion. Mm-hmm. So how can an, a religion, uh, and and. What is it, the ideology? What is the Buddhism? <laughs> Google it. I'll see what Buddhism is. Is an Indian religion or philosophical tradition? Mm-hmm. Based on a series of original teachings. So it's a philosophy. It's not a religion. Mm-hmm. Okay. A, a philosophy is just a guidance, some theory. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's a god or, or any type of idol. Mm-hmm. Over 7% of the world's population identifies as Buddhists. 70%? Seven. Just seven? Seven, yes. That's what I said, seven. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's very little. 7% of the whole world? That's not little. That's a ton of people. Yeah, but like... It says 520 million people. Yeah, but like I mean, it's it's not a big percent. It says it's the four, world's fourth largest religion. Number one is Christianity at thirty one point two percent. Number two is Islam. Islam, tw- yeah. Twenty four point one percent. Number three is no religion at sixteen percent. Is that a religion? Well, sixteen percent of people. No in the religion. World, it's a religion. Sixteen percent of the people well, in the world are not religious at all. What is it called? Atheism. Atheism. I guess you could say atheism or. Um, 
you know. I I I I describe myself atheist. Uh, how do you say? I don't know. Atheist. 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 What? For a long time. Did you? I was a little upset with God. You know, you go to those times. I mean, if you're a Christian, you know what I mean. At what age? Um, I think it was like 26. You were atheist? I kind of like, when I got here. To the United States yeah, in 2014. <laughs> where my mom wasn't around anymore talking to me about God mm-hmm. 24-7. Um, then I was like very reluctant. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, no more religion for me. So I then I described myself. And then I think from the 26 to like maybe 30, then I came back very slowly. And then I started going to church again. Okay. Uh, just for the record. Nobody rushing me, though. <laughs> just for the record, um, Yanni was raised in Cuba. From born in 87, moved out of Cuba to the United States in 2014. She was uh, baptized as Catholic when she was very little. Yeah. And then her mother, um, she was a who was a, a, a communist, um, and her, her mother and father were both communists. But in the 90s, they started to open up the religious options for people in Cuba. That's right. Okay, so after the fall of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communist Soviet Russia, for whatever reason, the options for religion in communist Cuba started to become a little bit more liberal. Yeah. You you had the choice. Bit. Yeah, so you, you had a little Although bit more options. Although it wasn't very, like, honestly, I remember people commenting, making comments at school and stuff because my mom would take me to church and stuff like that, kind of making fun of it. Okay, so, so it was still frowned upon by some, but still. there were some options. So her mom in the 90s started shifting a little bit away from being as communist. And, and basically and communist the activist to... She was a, a fanatic communist yeah. activist, teacher. She was like public teacher school teacher. And uh, like he was part of the, what is it called? PCR, like um, communist... Par, communist party the communist party but it's like a group like okay. you gotta be very involved very involved what was it right called there. in spanish uh del partido comunista de cuba okay um so in the 90s her mother who is a fanatic member of the communist party started to drift away from uh, the communist party a little bit and, and more so me, became fanatic about the protestant uh, yeah. like baptist church so she's changed from what one extreme to the other. She went, she went very, very fanatic from uh, communism to God. So she's still, she's still very fanatic she's about God. Very fanatic she tags about me God. and stuff on Facebook, which I honestly every day love every single day on my well, no, every single day because I kind of hated it for a while. Then my mom was like so into church, but then now I kind of like it because I know that I have you know bunch of blessings in my life and i honestly think that that was part of it okay even with all her craziness like you know about church and stuff but so your journey through religion has been interesting uh, baptized catholic when you were very young ended up becoming more protestant in later years recently we've went to the catholic church here locally yeah. uh, a few times right and um so we, we've, oh, also this will feed, so I've got some notes here. This will feed us right into another one of our conversations. Yeah. Um, well, let me continue with this. But I think, can I say something? 
I think shifting from a communist, from my mom to being a communist, very active um, part of the communist um, system in Cuba or whatever, the government or whatever. Mm -hmm. And her shifting to God was very symbolical because if you think about it, Marxism, it's totally against God. Mm -hmm. And then she's shifting away from that from Marxism to church, it brings her to a point. It's like when you're Marxism, you should not be worried about yourself. You should be worried about everybody, right? And then when you go to churches, the Bible says, well, you know, you will, it, it focuses a little bit on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So then it makes you think about yourself. It's less about the collective. It's less about the collective. So symbolically, it both... Both attract, like, go opposite way. If you go one way, you can't go the other. Very few people are big-time communists and big-time And Christians. symbolically, that was, that was crazy because the same time that she was drifting away, the same time I was trying to uh, develop, not develop, give me a word. You were growing. You were growing into yourself and considering and the, wanting to leave the country, considering the possibility of leaving communist Cuba. Yeah, and looking for freedom. But so what is that? Isn't that crazy? Symbolically, thinking like you you come from thinking about like collective and completely ignore yourself, so you don't matter at all. Mm -hmm. And then you move to God, and then from God you move to looking for freedom, and then you leave, and then you're free. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That for me, it's symbolically very, very weird, mm -hmm. right? Be a very weird journey. Definitely. Now, the next film I'm going to mention here plays right into our conversation. Nine Days That Changed the World is a 2010 documentary film produced by Newt Gingrich and his wife, Callista Gingrich that centers on the role played by Pope John Paul II in the fall of communism in Europe and the rise of labor union solidarity. Hmm, okay. Um, so basically, long story short, what happened was, and this doesn't even have a description of it, it had, Wikipedia does not have a good page for this, I'm sorry. In 1977, all right, Pope John Paul, who was Polish, I think it was 77, damn it. Anyways, in 1978 or 77, something like that, Pope John Paul II, who was Polish, made his way back to communist Polish, Poland. Mm -hmm. And he gave a speech. And in the speech, he condemned collectivization. Mm -hmm. The Communist Party tried to tell him that he, he needed to really condemn fascism. Yeah. And focus on, <laughs> focus on the, the Nazis are bad. We're not. Right. But Pope John Paul II apparently made it clear it was up to him. Because he's one of the few people in the world who is more powerful than even, I think you know, he uh, mentioned the uh, word Nikita Khrushchev or whoever or it was. Yeah, I think he may have mentioned the word dictatorship, yes, yeah. in his speech. So he gave hope to all these people in Poland, Warsaw, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. 
and it was a, a significant moment in the history of Eastern Europe. Yeah, they cha- they say that it changed the the perspective of like most young people, and and basically kind of like impacted for the change that happened not very long after. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think that was like eighty two. No, I think it was seventy seven, and then in like. Uh, or maybe 79, mm-hmm. exactly 10 years. 10 years after, yeah, exactly 10 years after, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me see here. I'm going to Google it. Pope John. So in 1979. Okay. Pope John Paul II said the famous words, quote, let the spirit descend and renew the face of the earth, this earth. That was one of the words that he said once again in 1979. And if you remember... Like almost to the day, I think, 10 years later, the Berlin Wall fell. Oh, it fell. was the same, the was, same month, I think. Okay, yeah, like almost exactly 10 years to the day, um, he he basically, he, he, he offended the, the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. He oh, drew, and drew they attention also- to Auschwitz, which was a, of course, Nazi uh, camp that was in Poland at the time. And Soviet suffering, the Soviet contribution. So he, he, he called attention to the Nazis, Auschwitz, which was in Poland, I think. And then also the, the, to Soviet suffering and the Soviet contribution to World War II. So he did acknowledge that communism's evil also. And that's what, of course, pissed off, um, you know, whoever, whatever the, yeah. leader, the leader of USSR was at that time. Like they, um, there was a cross... In that when he came, um, I think where he sits or something, and they let him, let him, um, you know, stay there where he did for a while, but then they disappeared it, and people will, will still bring uh, crosses there and put it in the same spot where that cross was. So mm. at some point they have to just let it be, be and and actually build the a cross after what happened. <laughs> because people would just not stop bringing the cross anyways. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he didn't, like, you know. And then, um, remember that they were trying to not, they didn't play it on the TV or anything. They were trying to hide that they got, that, that the, the Pope went there. Remember that part? Oh, yeah, the communist propaganda machine was really trying to minimize yeah. that he was even there. Yeah. And, like, they were trying to minimize the amount of people that were there, too. It was, like, uh, I forget. Yeah, it like was a, insane. Like, 100, 200,000 people showed up. It was, up. like, crazy. Actually, give me a minute. I can find the, the Pope John Paul II Poland speech. I want Carla to watch that, yeah. Okay, so, so to draw that, to, to circle things back around, mm-hmm. your... Religious journey is fascinating. You've kind of started out being baptized Catholic, at certain point Protestant, then a little bit atheism, mm-hmm. and then now, for, just for whatever reason, we're going to a Catholic church right now. Yeah, but that's Christian. That's Christian. Yep. Um, but also, let's tie into it without naming anyone. One of your friends, one of your Cuban friends, advised you to put your daughter into a public school for a certain program they had. Mm-hmm. And so you were all excited about it, right? Yes. And it was, let's say, at Central High School. 
Yeah, so she was and going to send, she, I put her there because. For her freshman year. Yeah, because they had a, uh, a vet, veterinary science magnet program, and Carla told, have told me that she wanted to pursue that career, maybe. So I was like, okay, well, that would be a good, good school, excuse me. And then, you know, somebody told me, oh, yeah, like, that's a good school like a good school and like they're very good academically and stuff like that and then and then I put her there and it didn't work out how I thought that it would what do you mean by that well she's getting assignments there she's like, getting straight A's what do you mean okay so she's getting the straight A's and then when she gets her her homework for example, they tell her to write essays. The essays have specific topics they, they give them, and it have to be written about that only. Like, they, they don't have the choice of, um, you know, writing. They just give them some topics. So some of those topics is like um, how cops... One time she had an assignment where it was like trying to focus how the fact that cops discriminate and are more violent toward black people and Hispanic. Um, actually, no, black, black people. I, I don't think they mention Hispanic there. Um, then white per people. Okay. And she needed to write about that. Okay. So, Michael, I, I, I disagree with that. Why? Um, because, first of all, you know, you, you shouldn't be teaching the kids to be afraid of the law. Mm. or the cops but more like being just using common sense being respectful to anybody no matter what and if somebody pulls you over you, you if you are polite and you're not scared i don't think that anything could happen to you now you respond and you act like you are you know entitled or you know that cop is being racist immediately just blame just labeling that guy oh you pulled me over because i'm black well, you shouldn't even be thinking like that because that's not a good, that's not a good attitude to our life in any way. So my daughter to be taught that, just I imagine her being in a car and being afraid of a cop instead of like, well, I'm not doing anything right, uh, wrong. I mean, why should I be afraid? She shouldn't be afraid of cops. So that made me be very, very upset. Like, I don't want that victim... Um, ideology where you know they're preparing them to be victims a whole life and think as victims hmm. victims are scared and they only think about defending themselves so if you are thinking as a victim and you are a car and you're poor over you're going to think that the cop is going to um, attack you or going to do something against you instead of just thinking straight say well maybe he just want to check my driver license there's nothing wrong he checks it you don't have you don't have anything. You're good to go. You haven't done any drugs and driving, doing any crazy thing. They'll let you go. That's it. But that that perspective, that manipulation into their minds as so young, it made them think that they're victims and therefore they should act and be always aware of this evil um, white person. I just disagree completely with that. I don't want her to see anybody and, and, and just have an, an assumption, a, a, assuming anything about that person. 
right? Okay. That makes sense. Maybe uh, I said too much into it. No, no, that makes sense. So, brings up an interesting topic, actually. And and not only that, but also they will give them essays, essays to um, work. My essays. daughter, okay. essays, essays, okay. My daughter. Like a friend, essay? I can spell it for you. It's E-S-S-A-Y-S. Okay. I am not very good pronouncing things. So I know how to spell. Okay, listen. So, she was getting assignments where she had to write a paper and then she would submit it back and she would get A's or B's. And then I'm like, well, can I see what, I mean, how do you got B? So, t show me what, what, what do you miss? Oh, I don't know. They never returned the paper to me. So, she's basically getting A's and she doesn't even know what she misses on those work, on those works that she submits. And I'm thinking, well, my daughter's first language is not English. She doesn't need to learn shit about um, critical race theory and how racist people are. She needs to learn how to write in English. Jesus Christ, t-shirt, that's what you pay for. So that's why I got so upset because she's not learning how to write in English, how to write, how to be academically successful. How do you say? Successful. Successful. She's been teaching how to think so was it just one assignment that was about oh, racism oh my god was it just one no it's just a couple i've been a couple of them for a couple of years but now it has gotten better worse in in high school so even in middle school and, and yeah remember we found that yes yeah one. one of her first assignments that that, that carla ever wrote about mm -hmm. in english was about how the government needs to help minorities more yeah, like to put more money into them and prioritize. She had prioritize. First of all, prioritize, prioritize. How do you say? Prioritize. Prioritize minorities over anybody, and I think that's completely wrong because I think everybody should earn depending on what they work for. So if you don't work, if you're if you're if you're white and I am I am brown and and we have the same titles and we apply for a job. They should give it to the person who have more qualifications. Mm. So that sounds like you're against affirmative action. Well, let's not get into there. Well, I mean, <laughs> you teed me up for that. That's what it sounded like. Okay, so well, let's go back to the assignment. Okay. Okay, so I wanted my daughter to go to school not to learn ideology. I wanted my daughter to go to school to learn to be creative, to learn how to write and read. And then I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't agree with my daughter. I mean, for God's sake, we came from communism. We'd have been indoctrinated on our whole, our whole life. And then I brought her here to the United States to be indoctrinated again. No thanks. So I put her in a private school. And it's going to cost you, year. even with financial assistance, <coughs> it's going to cost you $700 a month. <coughs> even with financial assistance. Yeah, it's $14,950 a year, but it's going to be you got the like best six, money I ever spent six, in my life. You got $6,500 of financial assistance Yeah, because of your, you, you know, you work, you've got a good job in the medical field. Mm -hmm. But not enough to pay a school not like that. Not enough to pay what would have been but about $1,500 a month. Thanks to donors who, uh, you know, make possible for people who are not as you know, uh, how do you say, well-off? Well-off financially. Financially. 
thanks to donors and, and the Catholic Church and all those activities they do, but because not only of, all of them are Catholic, it, it, they have all different donors from all different types. You don't think the donors mostly are Catholic? High school are all Catholic? You no, know? mostly are Catholic. I know that, but there are also some that are not. There are different religions there too. If I were of a different religion, I would donate to a church. Of well, my some religion. people just donate no matter what. I don't know about that. I think it's mostly Catholic. Okay, it's mostly I'm at not, Catholic. Uh, okay, I never said that he wasn't. What? I said it mo- it's mostly, mostly Catholic. I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty much all Catholics. Is my guess. Okay, I would say there's a few yeah. of them that won. That are like Jews. They're all different types Muslims. of. I don't know some people who don't have religions. Okay, and could then be. just decide to donate. Okay, or it could be also religions, different religions. I don't think that have some some religions don't are not as combative with other religions. Okay. They're more accept. But like, you know, I would think, and not that it matters. I'm not. I don't necessarily not trying. Well, to the point the is, Church. the I'm point saying, is, that thanks to these donors, yes. whoever they are, thanks so much. My daughter can go to a private go- and school you, and learn 700. English, God's sake, how to write and have a good grammar. So she's well prepared for college. You know what else is cool? Her first language was Spanish, but they said they can put her into a class that will. Yeah. Help so they her. will do a band Spanish for her. Uh, so they have a, a band uh, Spanish there, um, but they also have like very basic levels. But since Carla. First language is Spanish, and she's very good in Spanish. You've been writes better in Spanish than English. Um, they're going to give her an advanced class where she's going to learn how to write essays, not only in English, but in all, also in Spanish. So that would be good, you know, in case she gets a job as a, I don't know, whatever she needs. You know, that's never, that's always a plus. 100%. Yeah. So this film that we watched, mm-hmm. Nine Days That Changed the World, I just read, can you believe it, that um, it said there was, look, six million people watching this. Watching what? Pope John Paul giving his speeches. That was six million? That's what it said, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it was like the biggest. But not only in, uh, in not, Poland. Yeah, not, no, I mean live. I assume that means television. Yeah. Everything. But supposedly like one of the biggest audiences in the history of humanity. Wow. Because the Eastern Bloc, those countries, USSR, toward the end mm. of the Soviet Union, this was, you know, 10 years prior. So this was in June of 79. There was a lot of eyeballs on this. They're like, what the hell? Uh, yeah. Uh, Pope, the Pope is going to speak in communist, uh, in communist, communist country. country in seven, 1979, it was unheard of. And so Newt Gingrich, who is a Republican, of course, um, d- and his wife directed this film. And I thought it was pretty neat. We're going to have Carla watch it to be familiar with I it. I think right? there was some contradiction there, like, a, not contradiction, controversial. Like, it, it, at the beginning, they didn't want to let him in. But then uh, when they asked for a advisement, okay. um, they said, well, you, you can't, you know, he's from Poland. Oh, he's And he's ri- the Pope. He was originally from there. Mm-hmm. And he's also the Pope. He was too powerful for them to deny it. There's he would have been he was seen. like the only man that could do it. Yes, exactly. He will be that, not any, like any other person could have ever done that. Only him. 
um, because of, first of all, he was Polish, and then, you know, he was a pope. Um, and, and, and that country was, before the Soviet Union, very, very Catholic. Leonid uh, Brezhnev, Brezhnev was the leader from 64 through 82. So in 79, it was Bre- Brezhnev um, was the leader of the US, USSR. So it's like was, Russia. Russia was very like, um, was a Catholic. It was like Orthodox. It is now. Yeah, but it was before Soviet Union as well. Oh, was that, it? Yeah, when the uh, Romanovs, that was Orthodox Church. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Yeah. The ones that uh, Vladimir Lenin and mm-hmm. those guys came in and killed. Yep. Um, okay. Killed them, the, the Romanov killed and their all, kids. All their family, yeah. Just Le- shot them Le- Lenin for, for the good of the people. Lenin was not such a great guy. God's sake. All right. So, continuing right along, we can go with these movie reviews all day. Oh, yeah. There's uh, so much we've to watched, talk about. We've those. watched a ton <laughs> of them. The Blue Kite from 1993. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah, the um, a, um, the little boy, who his dad made a a paper plane mm-hmm. for him. I think was it that one? Yep, in the nineteen fifties. Yeah, his mom married another man. Oh my gosh, this was a wild movie, right? It yeah. went through all these generations. Yeah. Um, it says the blue kite serves as one of the quintessential examples of China's fifth generation filmmaking. And in particular reveals the impact the various political movements, including the anti-rightist movement and cultural revolution had upon directors who grew up in the fifties and Mm sixties. It is currently banned by the Chinese government. Of course. Which means it's a good film to watch. Right. Yeah, there's no reason why it was censored. It was immediately, <laughs> listen, it was immediately banned. It was released in 1993. It's so funny that these people make the whole point so obvious. Why would you ban it? <laughs> right? <laughs> Hold on. Doesn't that make the whole thing better? Um, so it was once again the Blue Kite from 1993, banned by the Chinese government upon its completion. And then they also imposed a 10-year filmmaking ban on the producer. Oh, my I'm sorry, the director. But it did have a, a very positive international audience, so that was pretty neat. The Blue Kite from 1993. Um, okay. So the other notes that we had, we went out to dinner tonight at Pat's Steakhouse. And I have the best steak in my life. For the first time ever, Yanni ordered a filet mignon. Yeah, that was, oh my God, I should have had that in Cuba. Unfortunately, cows were illegal 30 years. <laughs> 30 years in prison? If you, you could have had that in Cuba, but you would have went to prison well, for Well, if 30, I was like the, the daughter of a government official, I probably would have. <laughs> but literally, if you Unfortunately, get, I wasn't. Literally, if you get caught eating... Yeah, if you're just a normal person, a regular worker. You yeah. can go to prison for 30 years. 30 years. That's not that big of a deal. 30 years? <laughs> it's worth it. Pretty good steak. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're going to taste it for 30 years. All right. So a few things politically we can touch on. Joe Biden recently took actions to lift some of the shan- sanctions on Cuba. Yes. Very of course, recently. The, the major- and also Venezuela, okay? Yeah. 
Um, and I think Nicaragua as well. Okay. And this, of course, by the general public of Cubans in the United States. I think there's like 3 million Cubans in the United States. The majority of them... 3 millions only? You, wow, we're, we're very small. How many Cubans do you think are in the United States? I don't know. Yeah, it says nearly 2.7 million in 2020. Oh, so we're very small. About 3 million, yeah. 3.5% or something. Yeah, so, I mean, there's 330 million people in the country. Oh, no, it's like 0.7 of the U.S. population in 2019. Okay, so less than a percent. Yeah. But that's okay. 2.7 million in 2020 is what it said. But the majority of the Cubans who are politically active, Yanni, for example, the ones that are in Miami, are not happy with Biden's actions to remove these sanctions. That's right. Okay. Why? Well, they um, they think that usually what this helps is not the people, but the government. Okay. Um, I don't think they're going to make this, these, these things, these um, adjustments that Biden done. Of, um, fair. They're not going to be fair. No. They automatically hate Biden. No. Can I say it? Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to find the words. They're not going to announce it in the TV, in the Cuban TV, I'm pretty sure. Because that will make United States look very friendly. Okay. Which is completely opposite to the whole ideology where imperialism, it's U.S. Or U.S. represent imperialism and they will never do anything When you were raised in Cuba, you, you thought all Americans hated communism. Well, Fidel Castro was a very smart guy. So he would say that it's not the American people, it's the government. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he might he might have a case for that because the, the American government is not an angel. But there's definitely better than any other government, I, no matter how people say. Because those people that say United States is evil, let me tell you something, you have never lived in any other country. It's... One of the best countries you ever lived in. I think the best. Honestly, it's the best. Except, I think Japan, probably, but I'm not Japanese. So, anyways, I think United States is the best place to live. It's the best place to live. I wouldn't argue with that, although I would say that the United States government does a bunch of really shady shit. Yeah. A bunch. More than any other government. Mm-hmm. But not so much to their own people. Yeah, that's the difference. Okay. That's the difference. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily morally make the government... Doesn't make it better. Uh, But but that's a good point. That's a good point. United States is good to its citizen. Yes. The other governments are not good to the citizens, and I'm not including all of them. You know, Cuba, I would say, I can speak for what I know. Cuba, I can attest... No, they're they not good to their citizens. No, good. Are you sure? <laughs> oh my God! This, there are things that you can describe to people and you can explain a thousand times, but there's nothing you could ever explain that a person would understand unless unless they leave them. Okay. Um, so, what is your th- what are your thoughts on Biden opening up the sanctions? Well, in my opinion, my opinion, I don't know where way it's going to go. It could be good because thing. in this era, 
they could hide it. But what do you mean by unfortunately, that? Who could, who could hide what? Okay, so the U the Cuban government have made a few mistakes, which is usually the course of communism. At some point, they have to open up to the world, and the world is advancing. You gotta let the internet come in, and the internet is called information, and there's a lot of things in there. So it's not only where you feed into the people to the TV while your people are checking on Facebook and seeing their friends living in the United States and having a good life. Do you see what I'm saying? Sure. So they could hide the, 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 the thing that Biden is helping the United States, Cuba. Okay. They could, say, they could not put it in that way with that, that emphasis in the TV, right? Because okay. it's not convenient to them to think the United States, it's, it's good. But how are they going to hide it from people? Because I share stuff on my Facebook and a lot of people share stuff on their Facebook. And these Cubans from Cuba go to Facebook and their friends will, uh, has fa um, friends that went to high school with them. And they're not living there anymore. They're living in the United States. And they post that Biden did that. Mm -hmm. so, so are they going to believe it? Probably yes. Yeah. So they'll be like, well, the government is telling me the United States evil. But then now they're opening up. Open up uh, economic, you know, trade trade with us, and they're being more open. Why we still have this crazy three hours, not energy, or four or five hours without energy, and the government says it's struggling, and that's therefore we have to sacrifice ourselves enough, have electricity for eight hours straight. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm trying to get? Okay. Now, do you, it'll be interesting over time, <coughs> you talk to your friends and family in Cuba. <coughs> Is to your friends and family in Cuba <coughs> mm -hmm. to see if their quality of life gets a little bit better. Well, it's not getting better now. I mean, not yet, but it just happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? A year from now, will they be a little better is what I'm wondering. We'll see. Yeah. Time will tell. Time will tell. All right. But I honestly, if, if, I can, if I can bet, mm -hmm. if I can bet, mm -hmm. I would say it's going to work against the system. Work, what do you need? You need to clarify. What does that mean? The Cuban, the government, the communist system. I, I need clarification. What's that mean? Well, what's going to work against the system? It's going to work against what is the the new the sanctions being lifted by Biden mm -hmm. is going to work against the Cuban government. Yeah. So the sanctions being lifted by Biden are going to it's going to hurt the Cuban government. Yep. Is but that they that's not what they think. Of. That's not what the Cuban government thinks. Yep, they think they're going to get better and get by more, fast, uh, longer. They'll be able to survive and remain in power. Longer. Yeah, because that's all they worry about, to remain the power. They're not thinking about the future. Okay. And it's, un how you say, insustainable. It's not sustainable. Not sustainable. Unsustainable. They, they, they are at a point right now that, I mean, every single time I talk to my friends in Cuba, they're just like... Just trying to see a way out. To get out of How it. they can get out of there. People are selling their houses. People are selling their, their clothes. Their, their, the pots they cook. Everything. And then just leaving to Nicaragua. Crossing the borders trying to get here. To the United States always? Yeah, they're selling everything. Um, Anyone just stay in Nicaragua? Uh, some people leave... Uh, get there and then they don't have enough money or they, or they have been robbed and stuff. Yeah, they probably have to stay there. Okay. Okay. Um. But usually Cubans are very helpful to each other. 
And usually people are like, okay, I borrow, you can borrow the money from me, and then you pay it back when you get here. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next, you want me to continue with our notes? While we were having dinner earlier, we made some notes for our podcast. I actually had, when I got here, I was short on $800, and some lady, a friend of my family friend lived in Nicaragua, but she was doing a master's degree in Nicaragua, of course. Why do you say, of course? Because <laughs> it's a socialist country. Anyways. So you go get free education? Yeah. Okay. But she was making money there because she was doing under-the-table teaching, <gasps> like teaching under-the-table Not a stuff. true communist. Black market? Yeah. But oh she was doing black God. market. So oh I, bar- I borrowed $800 from her. And, uh, you know, you pay it back as soon as you get here. And you did? I did, of okay. course. Okay. Yeah. Um. Next thing I have here is um, Black Rednecks and White Liberals is a book I'm reading right now by Thomas Sowell. I'm uh, almost finished with the third chapter. I think there's six chapters. First chapter was called Black... It's a collection of essays by Thomas Sowell. First chapter is called Black Rednecks and White Liberals, and it talks about the similarities between African Americans from the south of the United States and the Scottish and Danish and English... Uh, in Irish, I'm sorry, not English. I think the Irish, Scottish, and Danish people that immigrated from that part of Europe to the southern part of the United States, and then they were the, really the slave owners and and lived with the um, black people in the S- South America during like slavery, um, and then the slim- similarities between the ways that they acted. So it's really an interesting look at race relations. Thomas Sowell is a real sharp guy. Second chapter was called Our Jews generic very fascinating essay and it's talking about capitalists you and i watched that one idiot mean movie yeah and remember at one point he just got crazy with power right he mm-hmm. at one point he was like oh we got to get all these fucking indians out of our country yeah, yeah yeah he just kicked all the indians out of the country because they owned all the businesses that guy was crazy that guy was crazy he wasn't even socialist he was just no. a crazy dictator but the, the the theme of this i think he started with a socialist, and then she, he shifted. Okay. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, they all do. Nobody's a pure, actual... But the, the, when he started, he was talking about, like, taking all those landlord stuff, and and then he completely switched to be a dictatorship, dictator as soon as he got in power. He didn't, He wasn't as feel like Castro that he kind of was, you Smooth. know, pretending to be good. No, this guy wasn't... Smart. And, yeah. and he only lasted like seven years or something, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. While Fidel Castro lasted like what 50. today? Yeah, until today, until he died of natural causes. No, I think it lasted forever as long. But he, I mean, he as he long got to the system is still standing, he's still in every mind of those crazy communists working. Okay, um, but this this chapter two of Black Rednecks and White Liberals focuses on once again. It's called Are Jews Generic? So it's talking about Indians in different parts of the world, all across Africa, I think. They own businesses, and they're demonized for it. Mm-hmm. Jewish people, of course, in the United States have had a lot of business success, really all across the world. But based on this chapter, some of the things I read in it, it sounds like the Jews have really thrived in the United States more than any other place in the world. Of course, the biggest economy in the world makes sense. Right. But they're saying... It's not just the Jewish who are like that. It's different groups. Certain Chinese people throughout history mm-hmm. um, were the ones who drove in industry in certain parts of Asia. 
And it wasn't just like random. It was this certain group of Chinese people owned all the businesses. Wow. So it's just an interesting look at... Um, different races? Races, yeah. the cult, Different cultures. I think the Ottoman Empire is referenced a lot. There's a lot of very fascinating... And I guess uh, the, like the, the Armenians. transcendency, is that a word? Like how it's been today from there. Oh, it's still prevalent today. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what do what Indian I mean. people in the United States own? Subway restaurants? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, hotels. It's very specific. You know, different cultures, uh, Arabic families own gas stations. Remember we went out mm -hmm. into far eastern Kentucky to, to buy Donald? Yeah. And we stopped at the gas station. It's all red. Oh, little Donald. <laughs> all rednecks everywhere. White people everywhere. We go into a gas station. Who owns it? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Who was it? I don't remember. It was an Indian family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. we're out in the middle of just Hickville in Kentucky, way yeah. out in the mountains, and an Indian family owned the gas yeah. station. It's like three guys, probably cousins or something. Oh, family. Yeah. Running this gas station. Kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So different cultures are more prone to business ownership, and over time, it's not, this, not just the Jews in the Holocaust who were demonized for being so entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. and you could say greedy or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of different groups that have been demonized for their entrepreneurial spirit. And then the third chapter, that was Jews generic. The third chapter, which I'm not done with yet, is the true history of slavery. Mm. So talk about a fucking polarizing topic that Thomas Sowell, black guy, right. wrote about. And he, he presents that, and I'll butcher the, the description, <laughs> but I'll try because I'm not a pussy. Um, he says that the United States system teaches that everything was centric to the United States. The United States drove the slave trade, and it's the white man who, you know, um, exploited the black Africans and made them into slaves and all that. Thomas Sowell's not denying that any of that's true. Instead, he's trying to take a bigger look at the history of slavery throughout humanity. Africans owned slaves all across Africa for yeah. many generations. A lot of the slaves that came to the United States were sold by Africans in Africa mm -hmm. to the United States. Um, different parts of Europe had different slaves throughout the, the, the entire history of it. And everything. there's not also being also, there's not, there are also being white slaves. Exactly. All in, uh, in over the world. Yep. And also, Brazil, I think, had way more slaves than the United States, I think. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of real black people. I think Cuba was by up there, too. Cuba, obviously not as big of a country no, as Brazil or the United States, but they had but a lot of slaves. we had a lot, too. That's why you're African. Yeah. You're about a quarter African, right? Um, yeah. That's why you are, 20, right? 20 something. Like 23, 24%. Yeah. Um, so that must be what it, it is. Yeah. Um, so he's not, of course, saying slavery didn't exist or anything from crazy. from Congo. Oh, okay. Really? Congo and Cameroon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pretty neat. Ancestry.com is pretty fascinating. And some Bantu, maybe Bantu. I can't remember what the name. But he was kind of taking see. a look at it from a historical perspective throughout humanity and instead focusing on who ended slavery, that type of thing. Who ended it? You know, who, who ended the slave trade? And it, he's not trying to say the United States was the hero or anything like that. He's just taking a nuanced look at the history of a slavery. A different perspective. A different perspective than what he says is presented in the United States educational yeah. system. Because I think the way they show it in the school is like black and white. 
Yeah. And I think everything that you put in black and white, it loses a lot of details are very important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the book I'm reading right now. I'm almost halfway finished with it. I'm a slow reader. What are you finding there, Yanni? I'm just finding the exact amount. <laughs> and from where? The exact amount what? From Africa. Oh, per- your percentage? Yeah. Okay. Like Cameroon, Congo, Western Bantu peoples, 12%. Okay. And then Mali, 3%. Nigeria, 3%. Senegal, 1%. Okay. okay. Ivory Coast and Ghana, 1%. So I have a lot of different areas. Benin and Togo, 1%. Northern Africa. So I wonder why it's, why it's like... Oh, look, look. It's completely the east side. The west part. Okay. Not the east, the west. No, the east. Sorry. The west. Mm-hmm. The okay. west side of Africa. Oh, because that's the closest to Spain. Think about it. Oh, okay. Because you're majority Spain. Right. You're, you're very Spanish. Definitely makes sense, right? So Spanish and Portugal, okay. which is the most. Makes sense. And then down there, Africa, the west, it's like geographical, geographically makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so wild how they can do that with Ancestry.com. I know. 23 and oh, It only goes 500 back, though. 500 years? Yeah. Yeah. So before that, you don't know. You could have been Jewish. <laughs> I'm 1% Jewish. European Jew, I am. Yeah. Um, okay, so continuing right along with our topics, you have written your best academic strength, Yanni, when you were in Cuba, was writing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You won some contests for essays and things like that? I did, yeah. And I, yeah. I won one thing in Spain. In and they Spain? Pub- yeah, they published it online. Wow, okay. Or maybe in a book. I don't know. I don't ever, because, you know, I was, they only made me sign something like, what is that called? There's probably tons Copyright of Copyright mo- or whatever. The Cuban government got tons of money for your writing. You didn't see a penny. No, I don't think so. Okay. Because I was directly communicating with them in Spain. Okay. If they got it, they just didn't give it to me. Okay. So the so government, I don't think, made anything, money, any money from that. Okay. So, you have been writing. And I do not try to demonize the government saying lies like the other way it does. You did not try to what? I'm, I wouldn't say what they wouldn't, and what, I wouldn't lie about it. Could you clarify what you just said? What I'm saying is a lot of people that I know that hate, you know, love socialism would completely demonize so, the other side. Oh, they even would de- lie. demonize the West. Yeah, even lied about it. And I won't lie. They didn't do that. They didn't save money from me. And that's, that's uh, you were not specific. pretending to be any more socialist than you thought you should be. Yeah, I will, I, I will tell the truth. Okay. Um, the truth will make you free. Okay. <laughs> You've been re- writing recently. Sometimes you post some of your writings on Facebook. Yeah. What have you written about recently? I wrote, I wrote, um, I think it was the last day of, that I, uh, the last day I lived in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, that day, the day that I left. Okay. So yeah. you just gave details about 
psychologically what you were going through? Because you didn't know for sure. That I think I, well, some now and then I have this uh, very funny flashbacks. You want me to read what you wrote? Sure. Six days ago, you posted this. You don't and think I read good? Well, I'm sorry? You don't think I read Do you well. want to read? You read it. No, I'm just kidding. Because I, if I'm going to read it, it's the translated version from Spanish to English. You wrote it in Spanish, right? You want me to read it in Spanish? <laughs> to prove that you're actually Cuban? No. Think a lot of people think you're a fake Cuban? <laughs> no. Um, do you want me to read it or do you want to read you it? You read it. Okay. I was kidding. It was October when you left the heat behind in search of a new horizon with no socialism, no mother, no father, no daughter. You took the Bible your mother gave you, you lied to everyone, and didn't tell them you weren't coming back, but that you were going to Ecuador to look for an economic exit. Your daughter sleeps, her eyes were closed like treasure hidden in heaven. Can I read it? Yes. Okay. Pick up where I left off. Oh, I don't have it in, in, in English. Here. Wait. Here. I hold, can hold read my it. phone. Yep. It sounds better than Spanish. <laughs> well, I assume most of our listeners do not speak Spanish. Okay. You correct me if I read wrong. It was October when you left the heat behind in search of a new horizon. 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 With no socialism, no mother, no father, no daughter. You took the Bible your mother gave you. You lied to everyone and didn't tell them that you weren't going, you weren't coming back, but that you were going to Ecuador to look for an economic exit. Your daughter sleeps. Her eyes were closed like treasure hidden in heaven. Your mother prays for you. The last prayers, the last prayer you remember. Your father sleeps too, but your mother wakes him up and tells him, "Kiss your daughter before, before." I lost it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Here, I'll take a screenshot and send it to you. I found it. I found okay, it. Okay. <laughs> Before she leaves. And you take some pictures, but can't take your daughter's sleepy face. And you think that one day you'll see her again, far from everything and nothing, with the notes of a Vivlian. Oblivion? Oblivion. 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 In a forgotten land. And the moon is not yet gone when you get on the bus that takes you takes you to the province of Las Tunas and you look at the green landscapes that haunt you in your memories. And then you take another bus, but some strange reason you can't think anymore and you hide among the dry October air. Now you read, help me. It's very long. <laughs> the dry October air. It sounds different in English. And your mom suspects there's no coming back, but you're not sure it's going to happen either. The day you left Cuba, it was one of those days that the sun shines on your face to remind you where you come from and what you leave behind. And the other bus is delayed 10 hours, and you think, but you avoid it. Because thinking hurts. Because dreaming is penalized in Cuba. You load your backpack without knowing where you're headed. They told you that you had to act relaxed. If the government suspects you're leaving to not come back anymore, they won't let you board the plane. But it's not hard for you to pretend that you're 
this is long. It is very long. I'll finish it, but it's not hard for you to pretend that you're going to come back because you still don't know if you're going to have the courage to cross those borders. The plan you had heard was that the Cubans traveled to Ecuador, either Quito or Guayaquil, and from there contacted different people in each country. Some people called coyotes that you should pay to move border by border, getting to Uncle Sam's country where the enemy holds freedom under his lap, the enemy being the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your neighbors in Cuba tell you that Cubans are well-received by Uncle Sam because Uncle Sam hates collectivization and secrets. Your mother was the last face you saw when she left. Her smile and her round and lucid face like September flow that holds boundless hope for her children, even if they leave and never return. And you board the plane and everything is different. You start to see a strange world, a world of colors and tastes. And the flight attendant asks you which drink you prefer. And for one second, your world collapses in a question no one asked before. Preferring something when you have nothing is very difficult. The lady stops for seconds, confused, repeats the question. But such a question is not asked to someone who hasn't had the chance to choose for 26 years of her life. Water is fine, thank you. And the flight attendant gives you water. In a glass to drink. And the plane starts to take off. And for the first time, you hear the turbines of the plane. And it all seems surreal. And it all seems like a dream. And you want to get off the plane, but it's too late. You close your eyes and pray your last prayer on earth that you saw born. And you run. So you're describing your last day there. Yeah, that was my last day. You didn't know that 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 was your last day. You went back twice. Yeah. You went back to Cuba. Twice. Yeah, but that's not considered like I live there anymore. I know. Uh, but, but so I was, I was, the first time I, actually the first time I ever went there, I felt so strange. Like it's, it wasn't my place anymore. But at the same time, I didn't want to leave because of Carla, right? Because she was back there. So I had to leave her there and then come back here. And then when I got to Kentucky, it's so funny, but because I don't think I ever miss Kentucky <laughs> so much. Really? <laughs> like, I didn't think that I was from here until the day I came back from Cuba on my first trip back to my country. Mm-hmm. Isn't that strange? Right? It makes sense. I can, I can imagine. You made a home here. I made a home here, escaping from then. But then I was missing home and then when I went home, I felt like a like a foreigner. Like I didn't feel like there anymore, and feel everything looked different. Like when you live there, everything looks so big and different. Um, like I went to the stores, and everything looked like he had a lot of st- stuff. Like the shelves were kind of full. When you grew up there, not very full, but kind of. When you grew up there, it seemed full. It seemed full when I. When I came back, you know, coming from, <laughs> I mean, just Walmart, <laughs> going back to Cuba and seeing the stores there, it was like miserable. I feel like it was so unfair to my people that, you know, so much needs and stuff. Okay. And not only that, I was so hot. Like I Because you were adjusted to Kentucky right, weather. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, next topics. You're proudly driving your car around now with bumper stickers on it. <laughs> what did they say? That wasn't on that list. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what do your bumper stickers say? Say, Cuba, crazy Cuban lady. Okay. One says socialism sucks. Okay. Um, uh, I am a Cuban who escaped it or something like that. Okay. And I ordered that one customized. Customize mm -hmm. from Amazon. Um, I got another one this, <coughs> that it's like uh, Free Cuba. SOS, like, you know, the the logo for Patria Vida, the movement of, like, you know, liberty, I guess, in Cuba. And the other one, it's the Round Pole one. And the reason why is because um, he was the first, the writer of my first book I ever read about basically the other side. Mm -hmm. So I've always been indoctrinated into socialism and honestly I bought it for a long, long, long time even when I got here. Even years after I got here, which is very strange. But well, what is ingrained in your, since you're a kid, it's very difficult I planned on giving this speech at the beginning of the episode, but I kind of forgot. Mm -hmm. Some people may hear this episode and say, oh, God, they're talking politics again. Yeah. Okay. And for a long time, for you, Yanni, I think you probably were kind of like, I'm not real into politics. Yeah, I okay? think that's but what But now was. you are more so into politics. Why is that important? Well, first of all, it's because if you ignore... You're you're ignoring you're real ignoring reality. Do you know how much impact politics have into your life? Not only into your life, into your budget. Not only into your budget, but into your pockets, into your your kids. How are your kids are being educated in school? And how are you, the future of your family will go? It's so important. I never, I honestly, I always ignore it because I didn't think it was so connected. But everything is connected. And I think, you know, it's being in denial and trying to not get involved, it's, it's, it has consequences in your life. Because when I think about it, my parents and my parents would have been aware of different ideologies and the, the, the cons and the pros of every, each one. Because I think everybody, should have the ability to choose. If somebody so knows that socialism is so bad and it still shows it, I don't have anything against them. That's the problem. They're crazy. Okay. Okay. But <clears throat> I think you still be aware of everything. So so so, and you being and you know hidden, it's gonna impact your life. One day. Some people feel it is morally superior to not let people know what your political beliefs are. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? That's our choice. Okay. My choice is I have a message to give. Uh, if, if I don't share my experience, then I won't impact anybody. And if I can impact just one person, you know, that... It's worth it, right? So if I can impact my daughter to know how bad and what's the reasons why we came here, how grateful she should be 
um, I wouldn't say to the government, but the way this nation was. The United States did do some things very well. They gave individual autonomy to states, and that still exists in a lot of ways. So when corona happened, certain states were better than others. Okay, so they set it up in a way, although it's corrupt, and they do all sorts of evil things when it comes to foreign policy, bombing the shit out of Middle East. But compared to the rest of the world, believe me, it's a better place to be. For the domestic policy, I would argue this is... They, because they did the best thing that I think this going. is the country who that focuses the most on protecting their citizens more than anything in the world. Okay. And and I mean that's good. Um in some cases that fail, but you know, if if you compare with you know, the rest of the countries I don't think is there any other better that you think to wait, to, to live all mm. things considered no. Because you have job availability here. You can find work. Yeah. You have the freedom to leave the country if you need to. Right. Okay, that's valuable. (laughs) Um, If you are completely indigent, you can get state health insurance. I'm not a big fan of it, but it exists. So let's not pretend Medicaid, Kentucky, unbridled spirit. I'm a fucking health insurance agent. If anyone's listening and saying, oh, you don't care about poor people. Okay. Do you have any idea how it works if you're poor in Kentucky? Do you? Yeah. If you do, and you're just choosing to ignore that part of it, then I don't know what to tell you, but we have what's called Kentucky Unbridled Spirit and Kentucky Passport for people who are poor. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be handicapped. You can get free health insurance. I'm not, once again, I'm not a big fan of it, but if you're one of the people who walks around complaining about our country that much, I would say... Do some research before you fucking say, uh, speak on something you know, such as healthcare. It is funny because when I came here, um, I I I was um, helped by the a little bit by the government and mm-hmm. by the Catholic Church, and uh, I remember that my friends in in Miami, uh, they were like, "Well, my friends that people that just came with me and they had family here and they were telling them what to do." And they knew about how things work here. I did not know. I did not have family here. So they were telling me how, like, you get to United States, and the United States, like, give you this um, cards for food. That's what they call. And they will help you out, you know, for a little bit. And I found that so strange because, like, in the Cuban government, it, you know, the United States was portrayed as so evil, and I was like, well, these people are giving poor people food. And then and then the first I remember the first time that they brought me to the apartment and uh in in and North High where we went today. Yeah. Those apartments, as soon as I got there, the the table was full of food that was bad by the Catholic Church with the US government money, some of them because it was like part of the government, part of the Catholic Church. And and they pay for all that food, and the fridge was full of food, and I just kept opening. I'm like, I couldn't believe that much food in my life, like, because I was in Miami for 20 days, but I was living with people, and you know, I wasn't able to open the fridge or anything, mm-hmm. so I never saw how much, you know. And when I saw that food, I was like, oh my god, these people just give you so much food, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and then these people here complain. How about their food stamp? 
I see and, people that I'm friends with. Oh my with. God, I, I can't believe I it. I see people that I'm friends with on social media, and I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm obviously not calling anyone out by name. Right. Complaining, saying, oh God, the United States is the worst place on earth to live. And those are people I call friends. Yeah. Yanni. I'm like, what in the and fuck? Also Do you this realize thing, how, how spoiled you sound? I don't think, is there any other government that gives employment checks, unemployment checks? There are. There are, well, in Cuba, you don't get unemployment checks, in case that you don't know. Socialism, the greatest thing that works for the wood of the people, the good of the people. Guess what? You get unemployed, you better figure out how to work. Figure it out. What, figure it out. What to do. Because the government is not going to give you unemplo- unemployment checks. Okay. And they're not going to give you a food stamp. <laughs> All right. So That's a joke. <laughs> if someone sees your Rand Paul bumper sticker and they're, oh mad at you and they're mad at you for it, Unbelievable. how would you handle that? I don't think, um, well, they're right to me. They're allowed to, obviously. No, yeah. I'm not saying. I mean, if I they're violent, they I will call jail. the 911 on them. They can be violent with me. Okay. I have my right. The are same you, way they have the right to ab- wear those stupid Bernie Sanders stickers. But they're still on the right to do it. And I would never do anything against them. To take their rights away. To take the right away. For God's sake. That would be basically just being a communist just on the other side. Agreed. Um, are you worried about people seeing it and being offended? No. Okay. Why? I don't know. Some people consider Rand Paul to be very polarizing. Well, it's because they probably haven't read any of his book. Okay. Critically and open-minded. Okay. If you read a book with a bias from the beginning, it's, it's, it, you don't leave a, you know. I think the thing, the wrong with people is that they read things with this, like, perspective of, well, this is not. Like, I don't have any space for question anything of what I believe. And that's the problem. You, you, I think you should always question what you believe. That's why I'm reading Jordan Peterson's book for the second time. 12 Rules of Life. Yeah. He talks about that a lot. About why people get into ideologies. How, why ideologies are so bad. Because ideologies are made up of like... Well, it, this is the way it is, and all the if you think otherwise, it's wrong. It's just wrong, right? It it gives a space for somebody thinking there's nothing that goes on top. Like that's the true, and nothing more than the true. Freedom is definitely the way to go, and you should always question it. Everything, right? What about the Ministry I of wish Truth? I would have Did you hear anything? Remember that Ministry of Truth thing? That the Biden administration was putting into place. Did you see anything about? Yeah, that? but didn't you say that they they, they didn't disbanded go well? it? But the f- they correct it was it went under because. Yeah, I would say because in large part, Rand Paul stood up to him and was just mocking them and saying, "Do you have any idea what the U.S. government has done in the past?" There's doc. There's video of him just grilling this senator about. Um, do you realize that we shouldn't just trust some government agency for everything? You're not in charge of what is the truth. And he just ripped them, and it was awesome. And a lot of other people publicly came out and said, this sounds like fucking Nazi Germany or communist Russia or anything like that. I mean, it, that was not a good thing, but they, they tried it, and it didn't go through. Um, I think when there are people that say the truth, and the truth usually is not very popular. Okay. And it is, it is, it is the reality. 
the true is not very popular. People don't like the true very much as much as lies. And as much as, you know, people would rather think, how do you say, like, they would rather that be somebody that's talking about equality is actually meaning it. Mm. That's what I mean. Okay. So when Ron Paul talks about these things, some of the things that he says are truth. And truth sometimes are painful. An example. People don't want to hear that. It's not sellable. They, it's not something that you, you know, you, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think I do. An example would be Rand Paul. There was a bill that they were going to build a, uh, a building and a museum to honor the people who died in 9-11. He must be a pain in the ass for the, <laughs> for the whole They all government. hate him. They all hate him. Okay, but listen <laughs> to this. T 2001, we got attacked by Osama bin Laden and, you know, the, the towers, you know, 2001, September 11th. Yeah. Like five years ago or something like that, maybe three years ago, there was a bill. They were trying to build a museum to honor all the people who died. Mm -hmm. And it was going to cost like $30 million. Oh, my God. Well, Rand Paul, in his eyes, he's like, okay, well, we're in right now $30 trillion worth of debt. Uh, no, that was easy. I think it was easy for him. He just voted no. He did not. He was going to vote no against the museum honoring the people who died in September 11th. So he voted no against that bill. Okay. And so the media is like, Rand Paul hates the people who died in September 11th and, right. and everything. He was just doing his fucking job. He's yeah. just doing his job, reading the bill and saying, this just doesn't make sense. I'd, I'll vote no. And, I and, mean, if it's going to cost that much money and damage the, and, the economy. And maybe it's, it's not even going to necessarily help anything. I mean, maybe some right. people will feel better. I know that that's a good example to me because there's a difference between making what seems like the emotional best decision yeah. versus what's actually the right. best thing to do it's for just the future like of this country. It's, it's, it's basically the same as like if you see a family who's not striving and then somebody in the family dies and then they go for a funeral of $20,000 in mm, debt. Okay. It's basically the because same. Because of the emotional. So if because of the emotional attachment, you are screwing your life over. Mm -hmm. So you won't probably get out of debt for, uh, let's say, I think 20000 is very minimum by like what it costs right now. For a nice funeral. Yeah, let's say they have they want the best funeral because, you know, it's a grandpa and then da-da-da-da. And I understand the feelings, but why do you need all that? Really? Like... If you're mourning, mor how you say mourning? Yep. Mourning. Mourning. Mourning for somebody, the pain, it goes inside. You don't have to, like, put it in a box. Mm -hmm. Like, it depends on how everybody uh, deal with pain. But, I mean, make it that $30 million cost. I don't know how it's good for you, actually. Mm -hmm. um, next topic, and this will be our last topic that I have, according to my notes. Um, actually, shout out to the Libertarian Mises Caucus, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus. Right now, we're recording today's episode on Saturday, May 28th, 2022, in Reno, Nevada, is the annual Libertarian Party National Convention. And there has been Joe Jorgensen and Nicholas Sarwark and Joe Bishop Henchman, and these guys have ran the Libertarian Party for years now, okay? And they've been kind of woke, they would almost identify more with being Democrats than being, if you had to identify, like I'm a libertarian, but I can admit if I had to choose Democrats or Republicans, mm -hmm. fucking Republican. I've told you that since the day I met you. I mean, yeah. libertarian or the, the, the Democrats are fucking insane. 
They are. Joe, I mean, Manchin maybe has some sense to him on occasion for voting against spending bills. Too much hypocrisy there. It's just horrible. The Democratic Party is a fucking joke. Maybe they, they say things that sound good. They actually, some of them are very naive. I would say they're naive or... Or consciously naive. Or consciously uh, malicious. I don't know. You don't think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're consciously like, okay, I'm going to manipulate this Black Lives Matter organization to get in office. To be and fair, then once I get in office, fuck them. I won't even. To return be fair, calls. Republicans are not saints. Oh, I agree. That's why I'm, I identify more as a libertarian or anarchist. I identify as a Republicans now, but I don't think they are saints. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, not saints. Too much spending. Too much spending. Agreed. Too much hypocrisy, too. Too much hypocrisy, too. Agreed. Mm-hmm. But if I had to they choose... They say they believe in one thing and they vote for something different. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think Rand Paul's pretty good on and most issues. And some people run as Republicans so they can vote and they can get stuff or support from, um, like, you know, financial support. Oh, yeah. Mitch yeah. McConnell's like the most corrupt human being But not because alive. they believe that. No. Mitch McConnell's a so piece let's of be garbage, honest. in my opinion. But if I had to choose between... But definitely, I definitely... The thing why I choose Republicans over the Democrats is because of the two evils, I choose the one that's going to spend less my money. And you know, I think that's common sense. They're getting my taxes. Mm-hmm. My but, taxes is my daughter's education. My taxes is my daughter's house. My In, in, our, in our families. So it's like... No, that, okay. I'm not giving free shit. I'm not, I'm not giving my money for free shit, and then later I'm going to pay the consequence. I know how it's free shit. It comes always with the price. Always. So, so right now, Dave Smith, and the, he's the Jewish guy who I think is going to be the, Repub- the libertarian candidate for president in 2024. His group is called the Mises Caucus. Caucus means like political group within a party. The Mises Caucus has... Sounds we, like a bacteria. A bacteria? Again. Caucus does? Yeah. Um, like Staphylococcus. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Mises Caucus, Ludwig von Mises, uh, Austrian economist, um, named after him. The Mises Caucus is trying to take over the Libertarian Party. And today, this weekend, is like when we're going to find out if it happened. Oh. So the Libertarian Party can go from being woke, kind of almost socialist in some ways. Marxist? Yeah, not they. none of them would say that they're Marxist, but there's some that... They like AOC way more than they like Rand Paul. I'm like, what the fuck? So, I mean, it's like a libertarian party that's lean socialist. Doesn't make any sense. The Mises Caucus completely, in my uh, interpretation of what is libertarianism, completely contradicts it. I mean, the word to say it, doesn't it? Libertarian liberties? Correct, yeah. And then socialism is not liberties at all. But the people who are proponents of socialism would say it is. In what way? True liberty, you told me this the other day. You explained this to me while we were watching that movie. The socialists, the communists, we were watching 1900, the communists used the word liberty. Oh, that's right. And I was like, huh. And yeah, you're like, well, that's Kelly, true. so you, you explain it to me for what because you just asked me. Because the way they sell the liberty is not the liberty of your independent liberty, but the liberty of everyone being free from having somebody explaining you. Like imperialism. So the proletarian and the landlord, for example, mm-hmm. or any business owner exploiting the worker. So that's the liberty that they explain. It's interesting. So words really don't mean much. Really don't mean much about your liberty and your 
your um, civil rights or anything like that. It's more like you not being exploited by another person, which I don't think I ever feel <laughs> less exploited in my life ever. Than you are right now? They are right here. I was exploited in Cuba when I was paid $16 a month. <laughs> yeah. And you had to have a college degree to get to get that job? Not that one. Okay, okay. Yeah, but your college degree, you'll make $20. Oh, what a change. $20 a month. <laughs> $4 more. And guess what? A jean costs $25. A pair of jeans. On the, the on, on, you know, what do you say? In black market. Because you couldn't find them at the stores pretty much. Okay. Um, next topic I have written here is, and I don't think she'd mind us saying it, me saying it. There's a lady we do yoga with. Her name's Kathleen. Oh, yeah. Um, six months ago, she, we were talking to her. Very sweet lady. And somehow the topic of Yanni being from Cuba came up. And she said, oh, I went to Cuba once. And Yanni was, of course, surprised. Yeah. Like, it's not every random white person you see in the United States says, oh, I went to Cuba, right? Yeah, I've seen only a few. There's not that. I mean, there's some, but not that many. And, but... The reason I was comfortable mentioning her name is even if she were to listen to this episode. Probably not. Probably not, but this is not a negative about her. It's a positive. Yeah. She presented it in a way where she was aware of what she was saying. Mm -hmm. She did not say anything stupid. Right. Have you heard anyone say anything stupid about going to Cuba? Um, Without naming names? Yeah, I had somebody one time saying how well the education... The the doctors were in Cuba. Okay, and they had visited there. Yeah, and they and they said that when they were there, they had a good time. They had a wonderful time because they were athletes. Okay, and athletes uh, are very very, um, especially if you're not Cuban, <laughs> most of it, very very um, appreciated Treat, in well. Cuba. Okay, I mean that's their whole phase. Is they, they got to have the good athletes. Right. It's your guest. It's like if you have a, cha- a chaotic, chaotic, chaotic family, you bring a guest home and you wanted to impress them, what would you do? Yeah. You'll make that day the, the best, like you make it look very, very good. Mm-hmm. So Kathleen, on the other hand, did not sing the praises no. of the system. Yeah. She didn't say anything negative about her experience. But she didn't there. say anything good either. She didn't go out of her way. She seemed intelligent. I don't know which way she leans politically or if she even has political ideology. But she's very smart, that I can tell. That's my point. Yeah. She did not sound like a fucking idiot. Because you should not... Also, I find very disrespectful in some ways, but I don't really care if people say it anyways. I'm not very offended. Very easily offended. Easily offended. Um, but like... If you, if you're talking to a Cuban, you know that way that could go both way. You don't know that person's Put. always been their experience. So you know they're they're crazy Cubans who still have to come here. They still believe communism is great. Okay. There are very few of them. Very few exceptions. But they do exist. But they do exist. But you should be aware. Like you know, don't 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 be. Like, oh, well, Cuba is great. Like, excuse me, maybe you should ask me because I'm Cuban and I live there. Instead of telling me now, if you tell me you went there, 
and you had tobacco and you experience you enjoy the experience you met a bunch of cubans people they were, were nice people were nice because that i can tell you cubans are uh very how do you say hospitable Hosp yeah very hospitable they are but uh, you know just imposing your your perspective from your trip on on a cuban it's very crazy <laughs> to me um The one that I can live with it. I, I I'm not offended at all. It's just at some point you're like, should I say something? Should I open their eyes? That is not really that well. That's how I feel like. Like if somebody tells me something like that, I'm like, <coughs> you know, <sighs> excuse me. But if someone tells you something positive about the place, yeah, it's it's kind of a little bit. I don't know. It reminds you that it's not good, but you know, sometimes because there are people are friends and you don't want to just fight. Or not fight, but like, I don't know. Maybe you should I think you should always say the truth. And I when that incident happened, I felt afterward that you know, maybe that person have never had anybody to tell them all the lies. Maybe if that person had a Cuban who stand up and say the truth, Because the truth makes a difference, especially if it comes from somebody who have lived there. Mm -hmm. But nobody probably have ever contradict that person, and then they go, you know, with a lot of misconceptions around. That athlete you spoke with, who said that Cuba had such a great healthcare system, mm -hmm. um, did do you have any thoughts on whether or not Cuba's healthcare system is in fact so great? <laughs> Am I a good interviewer? <laughs> very good. Your questions are very, very, very good. <laughs> Do you have any personal experiences, <laughs> perhaps? Well, I tell you what. My daughter got her, um, what is it called? Spinal tap. Okay. Three times, unnecessary. Um. In Cuba, everything it's the the healthcare is free. Therefore, there's nobody accountable for. Mm -hmm. When you get free stuff, there's no accountability because you get it for free. You don't pay for it. Therefore, you can't say, "Hey, why is this was not done right?" And that's what people don't understand. I feel in this country, they only see the present. Say, "Okay, I got the problem figured out." I got my surgery done. Or I got my bill paid, but they didn't think about the future. Well, how is this going to impact the fact that I took this money was free? How is it going to impact my future? And it's the same in Cuba. It's the healthcare. It's free. You go to the doctor, you're never going to know if you're going to get out of the hospital or life. Okay. My sister, for example, like I said, she has a thyroid issue and... She can only do her TSH. TSH test is a very, very basic test. Here in the United States, probably don't even cost very much. And she only can do, do it once a year because they don't have reagents and capabilities in, in their labs to do that. So people are getting delayed treatments, delayed surgeries, anything that you could think about. Uh, a lot of my practice... Uh, a lot of babies that died 
And like I said, it's the best country. Uh, and and, and um, uh, mortality. What is it? Children mortality? Bird mortality? Okay. Because nobody can contradict and check those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Someone on Twitter was telling me one time that people in Cuba live... All like their numbers and statistics are uh, very biased. <laughs> they were saying that people in Cuba outlive people in the United States by like six years. Of course. I mean, why would you think otherwise? <laughs> so you, we shouldn't trust any numbers the Cuban government gives? <laughs> no. Okay. Not at all. First of all, you shouldn't, you shouldn't trust the system that thinks that everything that is done for the collect the collective and the group everything that you do for the better of the whole group if it's done it have to be done at, at, at the cost of what is it any means okay so uh, any means means like lying and anything so it it, it is what it is Socialism has always have to have that problem. They lied and lie and lie. Because that's the only way that they can meet their um, ideology. Right? So, the, uh, anyways, my sister hasn't had that treatment for a TSH and her situation is not, she's not getting better. Sorry to hear that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so overall, thumbs down to the Cuban healthcare oh, system. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had Marisol. Remember I told you Marisol? One of your um, friends you work with at Cuban? One of, friend, one of my Cuban friends that is a life tech like me. He, work, he works with me. He was telling me the other day, her aunt is going to get her. No, she already got her, like, amputated because some simple surgery they, they couldn't done. They, they did, she got her leg amputated? Because they waited too much on the surgery because of the delayed surgeries because they don't have... When they they always missing some type some type of uh, medical equipment or medical uh, I don't know whatever you could name that they need even simple things mm-hmm. they are uh, in, in back order or or they're they're not being uh, it's just completely inefficient in any way that reminds me tonight after we finish up this episode here shortly we're gonna probably continuing continue watching the Romanian film called Collective, which is about a disaster that occurred in the, the Romanian healthcare system. Yeah. Um, 2019 film based on some stuff that happened in 2016 where that's a super fucked up system that is the Romanian uh, you know, socialized healthcare program. Uh, I encourage anyone listening to follow us. Of course, I'm sure you follow me. Um, or you're familiar with Kelly Patrick on all um, social media platforms, you can follow Yanni, though. Yanni underscore Dugan on Instagram. Yanni hasn't been as happy with Twitter lately, but I'll say she's still on there, right? With Twitter? Yeah, you haven't been as happy. You say you get tagged and so you randomly see like a socialist thing or something and it, it bothers you. Right? Yeah, I don't... Sometimes Yanni will see something on Twitter. For some reason, it shows up in her feed. I try to stay very open, but it's very difficult when it it touches you very deeply. Okay. Like, if it brings you memories and stuff like that, it's kind of a little bit hurting when people say, this this stuff is so good, and then you already lived it, you know how bad it is. It's kind of a little touching because 
kind of like your family get all messed up and separated and so all separated from you know all around the world because of the stupid socialism and then these crazy people who had everything in their life never starved in their life never been hungry never lacked on anything at all are defending a system that they don't never don't have no idea what it means in the long term mm-hmm. it's very touching for me that's fair but i try to stay open <laughs> and sometimes i try to respond <laughs> but i also like my mental peace Sometimes I just have, I think it's too much noise. No, Twitter is too much noise. Okay. And it doesn't represent really the people because sometimes when I see people around and talk to them, they seem nicer than in the social media, to be honest. That's fair. Yeah. But Yanni is on Twitter at Yanni Dugan, 1987. That's Y-A-N-E-D-U-G-A-N-1987. If you want to follow and interact with Yanni. I app- Yanni, I appreciate you coming back on the show. Thank you, my lovely husband. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. <laughs>